0: presence of God with us as we have worshiped him nothing like worshiping Christ together and nothing like studying his word together and we are in a series on the Psalms for the summer and so we're in Psalm chapter 30 today and if you want to turn to Psalm chapter 30 uh, that is where we will be studying from the Psalms are an an interesting uh, set and piece of scripture it is really our words as people to God calling out to God, crying out to God, asking his forgiveness, praising him, worshiping him, and God has turned all those words that we have toward him and made them his words to us. Uh, to encourage us. They're they're raw, they're real, they're uh, they're messy and like our lives. And so it's it's really takes us through life, all the ups and downs and and uh, highs and lows of life and helps us walk with God through. Uh, All of those things, it's instructions for us on how to be blessed, how to be happy and and satisfied and fulfilled in Christ, in God, as we walk with him, that Jesus might be prayed and praised. And then how to live holy and godly lives in a a fallen, broken world. This is the aim of the Psalms, and it's a a beautiful set of literature. I, I personally have, for many, many years, sat down first thing in my day and just read one Psalm and pray to God. And I've done that for years. I'd commend that to you as a simple, quick, little, easy thing to do that just turns your heart to God and, and lets you get the day started right. Of course, there's many more things you can do in terms of reading, uh, but but that's a, just a simple little practice that is a, a has been a blessing to me for, for many years. Now, this psalm, Psalm 30, is a psalm of of rejoicing and thanksgiving. That is the big theme. And so I'm going to break this sermon into two parts. One is to just look at this big picture theme that that we are to be people who rejoice and give thanks to God. That's verses 1 to 4. And then David takes and kind of drills down into his experience and how he came to have this heart of rejoicing in verses 5 to 12. And so we'll take those two parts, just the the big picture of of praising God and worshiping him and giving thanks to him, and then a little bit about how David on his journey came uh, to that point. So let's look at, uh, at verse one. It says, "I will extol you, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me." Now, when you follow the Psalms, you'll often often see this sort of cycle that goes on. There is um, a trial or a setback or a foe in this verse that comes against him, comes against a person's life. There's a crying out to God for help and for mercy. And then God comes and brings salvation and brings hope and, and brings rescue to us. And then the psalmist says, he praises him and he worships him. And that cycle gets repeated over and over and over in the psalms. And that's what we see here, that he's I mean, him exalting God, I mean, lifting him up. And that's the first verse, and it ends in the last verse. He says, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And that is the aim of of the Scriptures, that we would be people who rejoice in God and and praise Him and enjoy Him together. Uh, You you might ask, well, why do we go through so many trials? They seem to be so disheartening at times. But really it is. When you look at this full cycle, those trials take us to turning to God and to relying upon Him to experience His grace and we come back to a heart of deeper rejoicing than we ever would have had had we not gone through it. That's the picture of the Psalms. And we see that with David here this morning. Now, uh, it begins, uh, as oftentimes uh, these psalms do, with, with a foe, uh, an enemy, somebody that is resisting or pushing back. And, and these can be, I think, a lot of things in life. They can be our own personal sin. They can be people who are, are, are hard on us. They can be circumstances in life that's, that's difficult. Uh, it can be a lot of of things now. David here it, it speaks of having some health problems, and we see that in verse two. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, for you have healed me. Uh, he was having health issues so much so that he felt like he was going to die. We see that in in verse three. Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down into the pit. He thought he was going to die. He was so sick. He thought he wasn't going to make it. Furthermore, there's a little tip-off here that's a little bit more than this. He says, I, you brought me up from Sheol. That's a picture of death with and because of judgment. And so David, I think, has some fear that not only is he sick, but there is God's disciplining hand on his life. There is some sin in his life that needs to be dealt with, and we'll see that a little bit later in the psalm, that, that there are, there's two foes that he's facing, both his health and his own sin that he's struggling with before God. That's the problem David uh, was was facing. And um, you know, life is filled with these kind of foes. Life is hard. When you sign up to serve and live for Jesus, you're signing up to serve and live opposed by an enemy and uh, there are challenges is not easy it's difficult it's the normal thing it's hard to make progress in the christian life it's a it's a challenging journey it's a good one it's a blessed one it's filled with joy but it's also hard every step of the way ground does not come easy in bringing the gospel uh, into our own lives and into the lives of this culture and it can be even the smallest things i was uh, driving home this past week and um, i go up 3900 here to the to the east and the, there's an entrance on the freeway there that uh, historically I've kind of avoided. I don't know if you ever take this entrance on the freeway to go north on 215 but it's a quick little loop that comes around. You can only go 20 miles an hour and then you come on to traffic at 70 miles an hour and there's no extra lane there. Have you had this problem? I literally for three years didn't use that entrance because I saw actually a car got pushed off off the bridge and landed on its head on the road below. I'm not taking that risk. I don't want that happening to me, you know. Well, this last year, it's a faster way home, so I've been going back to it. And and, uh, and this last week, I got there and I, I pulled on, and here comes this knucklehead down the road, and he's not going to let me in. You can see it, right? You you can tell when you got one of these people. But the problem is, there's no choice. I either get in or I go over the edge right and I know which of those two I'm gonna pick and so I I push my way in and he kinda gets jammed into the lane next to me you know went over and then about a hundred yards back he cuts me off and I thought okay game on right (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna go and cut you off and then I thought my gosh this is gonna turn into a game of interstate bumper cars at 70 miles an hour this is really stupid right and I realized, you know, I don't even have control of myself in the most simple experiences in life. I need God. God, have mercy. I mean, I started to pray. God, have mercy on me. I could kill all of us out here. <laughs> have mercy on me. Give me grace. And, and I think some of the time we, we wish uh, this fight would go away. We wish God would just take it away and make it easy, don't we, sometimes, sometimes. But, you know, really, no, because I think it is in the fight uh, and in the difficult times that's when we really experience God. That's when we call out to Him. That's when we get to know His grace and His help in in amazing ways. (laughs) I'm a very competitive person. uh, And those who know me know that I'm a a poor loser and I'm also a poor winner. And uh, if I (laughs) beat... If I beat you, I'll let you know, you know. I, I, <laughs> and, I, and one of the most dangerous things for me in all of life is to be bored and to not have something to fight. You know, In fact, that's when I'm going to get into sin. When I'm, when I'm bored and don't really have a lot to do, thankfully it's not a lot of that, that's when I'm in danger. And so I think this fight of the Christian life is really a good thing. In fact, it's why my family and I moved to Salt Lake City. And we came here for the fight. We want to be on the front line. We want to be in the most exciting, challenging mission field in America. And we found it. And uh, it's been harder than we thought. And my gosh, we need God, right? And that's what happens. In the, in the fight, you need God. I need you. Father. If you don't come and help me, I'm done. And thats uh, that's been... it's been here and and that's the beautiful thing about living for jesus it is a fight in and it is a good thing and um and in the end god comes and he lifts david um out of his sickness makes him well and this is what our good god does is he comes and he brings healing and he brings help Uh, it honors him when we call on him and it honors him to glorify himself by helping us Um, and that's what i want us to see Uh, in all of life is that for the Christian there is no final and ultimate defeat in the long haul in the big picture you always win now you might win some short term you might lose some short term battles but the final chapter when it's written written, you win it's the great news of the gospel it's the it's the great message of Romans chapter 8 which I think is the greatest chapter in all the Bible where we hear these really well-read and understood verses, but where God says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And then in verse 31 it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You will win. If you're with Jesus, you will win in the final chapter promise you. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the life of the Christian. And it's one of ultimate victory. Now look, we have to live the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, in our lives throughout the week and throughout months and years. We're going to have and experience deaths. We're going to experience pits that we fall into. It's going to look at times like... How am I going to get out of this? My life's over. I'm through. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this one. That's a death. And you lay down and say, God, it's up to you. If you don't rescue me, I'm through. And what does God do? He resurrects us. That's the death and the resurrection. It's just the gospel being lived out in your life um, on a daily basis. And when you are in that hard place where you feel like it's over, that's when God can do his amazing, miraculous work. And so this was David's experience. Um, David experienced God's healing and it brought him to great rejoicing where he says in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And David rejoiced in God's victory. And uh, that is the aim of the Christian is to come to a place of rejoicing in God. Uh, this is your purpose, is to see and experience and know God at such a deep level that your heart rejoices. And there is no greater joy and no greater rejoicing than the rejoicing that comes to the Christian heart who has experienced and known and walked with God in and through the hard things of life to the point of where he brings victory. That is what we were made for. Uh, And it's a beautiful thing. But I want us to see that the normal Christian life is like this it's messy it's it's filled with ups and downs highs and lows and we have to accept this we'll be healthier if we accept this we'll rejoice more if we know this one of our kids uh, one of our sons hated messiness and he hated particularly dirt on his body or on his hands and he always had to be clean you know, at one level, that's kind of a good thing, I guess. But, but, but he, was, he was just crazy about it. And so when he was in first grade and the teacher had him do finger painting, and they were told to put your hands in the paint, he was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like I can't get messy. It's messy, right? And so he wouldn't do it. And, but Carl, if you're going to live life, you've got to get messy. <laughs> you've got to get messy. That's the only way you can enjoy life. It's the only way you can live. It's a good thing. It's okay to get some paint on your hands. And so this is the way we're to live life. And uh, we're to live it uh, in the messiness of it. And I have found uh, over my years of pastoral experience that it, those that try to keep everything just neat and in order in sort of a, an extreme way are really trying to compensate for chaos and a lack of peace inside. Um <coughs> And the picture that God paints for us in our lives is that there is chaos on the outside, storms on the outside, but there's peace in our hearts that rule and reign. And that's the picture of the healthy Christian life. So uh, there's verses 1 to 4. That's the big picture of, of rejoicing. And uh, and now let's look at the breakdown of what David kind of does, digs into sort of this whole process of <clears throat> come into a, a rejoicing heart starting with verse 5 and, and he starts in verse 5 <clears throat> uh, with some statements about God he says for his anger is but for a moment but his favor is for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning Now I want you to see this there's two things i are spoken of there are moments of anger but they're just moments And then there's favor that comes to the to the Christian, and that is a lifetime. And so all that God does and all that God brings to us, even the moments that feel like discipline, and God's a little mad at me, even those moments that feel like that, it's always redemptive. It's always to grow us. It's always to make us stronger. It's always to weed out those weeds that are not good for us so that we might come to a more pure heart of loving and rejoicing in our God. But don't miss that there are seasons where God's disciplining hand is on us. That does happen. And it doesn't feel very good. Um, But that's what a healthy father does, it tells us in Hebrews 12, doesn't he? A healthy father sometimes is a little angry at the kids. And I think in today's culture where we have this sort of attitude, everything is awesome, everything's always good, everything's fine, don't ever get mad at your kids. I think we do a, a disfavor to them because that isn't the way our Heavenly Father is. God gets unhappy with us sometimes when we act in rebellion against Him. And so we as moms and dads, our kids, it's good for them to feel a little of that now and then amongst this lifetime of favor, which they definitely should feel, right? So I tell my kids once in a while, you know, this old horse will bite. He bites. And they know that. <laughs> and it's good for them, you know? feels good for me, too, you know? So, but that's our God. Favor for a lifetime and, and momentary moments of, of discipline and correction. He says, Weeping may last for night, but joy comes in the morning. And so, for the Christian, weeping is never the last chapter. There's always a moving toward favor in everything. And God never wastes any pain in our life to just leave us there suffering, but uses it to bring us to a place where we know him better, love him more, and rejoice in his name. Now, it's kind of one thing to say this, and it's another thing to go through it, because when you are in the middle of a season of weeping, it is really hard. Um, And I have found, we were talking about this last night in our home, I have found that the, the, the best, one of the best things to do is to look at your life when you're in a hard time, to look at your life as sort of a whole story, that God is writing a series of chapters in your life, okay? And, and there'll be some that are really happy and filled with joy and filled with prosperity and filled with, with lots of good things, and there'll be some chapters that aren't so good, they're hard and they're suffering and you're kind of grinding through. But just know that the last chapter is the best, and it's amazing in the end. You got to know that. You got to have the hope of that. You got to believe that. And then in that moment, just don't get so hyper focused on that little experience, on that little chapter. You got to see it in the big picture. What God is doing and writing your story of your life. You'll deal with it in a healthier way. We, we, we just have this tendency when things get hard to just get just hyper-focused on that problem to get rid of it and, and root it out and get rid of that enemy and fix that problem. And, and I think sometimes we miss the bigger picture of what is God doing? God, where are you in this? What are you teaching me in this? How are you building the bigger picture of my life? What are you trying to shape in me for the next chapter? And look at it on sort of a continuum of your whole life and I think you'll handle uh, things much better. I just find people just soften and rest in God and experience His grace in a deeper way. If they'll look at it, this is just one more step along a, a long pathway that it gets brighter and brighter for the righteous man day by day, it says in Proverbs 4. And to look at it that way is really, I think, helpful. This past week I had. Um, such an experience where uh, God made evident to me some significant sin in my life. And it was unpleasant. I, I don't enjoy these moments. I'm thankful for them. You know, I'm thankful that God is changing me. But it was hard and it was painful. And um, uh, I asked God, why? You why know, Why don't you just take this sin away from me? Why don't you just take it out of my life? Why can't we just sanctify me in this area and I'll be fine? You ever asked that question? Why do I have to keep fighting these battles over and over again? I often say, if I could just flip a switch and take that sin out of my life, I would flip it in one second. That's how badly I want it gone. I don't want to do this. God, take it away. And yet, you know how he answers it? No, you're going to keep fighting it. I said, God, why? Why do I have to keep fighting my sin? Why can't you, why can't I just flip the switch? Robert sometimes says, I wish I could just subject myself to surgery and have it just taken out in surgery and ended. Why? And the answer that came as I meditated with God and felt miserable before him was that I'm teaching you the depth of my love and the depth of the gospel and the meaning of the cross one more time where you have to come and find forgiveness, be forgiven, and stand in my righteousness and not your own. Right? And the blessing and the freedom and the joy that washes over my soul in that moment. I'm glad to be on the right? The joy is in the morning moment of that. And one more time to know deeper the gospel and the love of God in my life. That's why, I think. And... Uh, as much as i don't like it at times it turns out to be uh, a great blessing in my life now david had some very specific sin in his life that we see in this text in verse six and seven as we said he was suffering from health but it also was rooted in some sin that god was dealing with and we see it in verse six and it's very subtle you almost don't see it you'd almost miss it if you read through this text fast but it says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Okay, so here's David speaking. All right, now here's me. I'm prosperous, and that will never change. Ha <laughs> ha Yeah. <laughs> you hear the pride in this? You hear the root of this? You know, look what I've done, God. Look at, look at this. Look at this prosperity they've done because of my good character and this isn't going to change because i'm you know i'm in a good place right and david had lots to be proud of he had a lot of reasons to feel good about himself he was king but we know this isn't right we know this isn't healthy we know this hard attitude is not honoring to god it reminded me it's not exactly the same but it reminded me a little bit of nebuchadnezzar when he's walking on the top of his castle you know in daniel chapter 4 and he looks out over Babylon and he says, look at this great kingdom that I have built and my hands have built and all this wealth that I have accumulated for myself because of my greatness. And God says, yeah, and now you're going to walk like a cow for seven years in the field and eat grass, right? You'll learn your lesson. And, and, And God brought him to that point and he repented and he turned back and he worshiped God at the end of that chapter. And but this is God. He's, it's not good for us and it isn't honoring to Him to have that attitude that what I am is because of my greatness or my strength or my wisdom. Every good gift, the Bible tells us, is from God. And Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, you know, I've worked harder than all the rest of you, but everything that I am is by the grace of God. And that's what we should be saying about our lives that everything we have every good and perfect gift is from god and it's all his grace even though we work hard and we should work hard it is still god's grace working in us even when we strive to be with people god wants us to be and, and to realize that every good thing we have in this life can just be in an instant taken away from us i had a pastor friend who just this past week uh his wife had an affair and uh you know, you're you zooming along really, really well and then suddenly, boom. And you just never know when those kind of things are going to hit you or you're going to fall back into a sin. You know how close you and I are to falling back into that sin that gets us just so close at any given moment? Or our health can be taken from us. our loved ones can be taken from us. It can all just go away so fast. And it's all God's grace. We can't control those things. And our heart attitude must be, unlike David here, God, everything I have is from you. Thank you. Here's your grace given to me. Thank you. So, there's David's sin and now God has to deal with him. And in verse 7 it says, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. He starts to realize, you know, God, is your favor. But then God does this thing that we see quite a few times in the psalm. It seems like such an unlikely thing for God to do, but He does it because He loves us. It says He hid his face he hid his face and David said I was dismayed that God had come in and taken his health and he was about ready to die at least it felt like it to him and he's calling out to God and God why are you doing this to me what is happening to me I don't know if I'm going to make it through this <clears> or <throat> been there you're in this hard place and you're saying God where are you why am I why am I going through this And God seems silent. He doesn't answer. He's just quiet. No answers. You're just suffering. And you're calling out. You've been there? Oh my gosh, I have. It's horrible. uh, This is one of the deepest and most difficult things in all the Christian life is when God hides his face. And he does. He sometimes does. Always redemptively. Always to turn our hearts back to him. Always to get us to cry out to him. Because it's in those moments when he's hiding his face that you realize, really, in all of life, that's all I've got. (laughs) God, you're my only hope. If I don't have you, nothing other than this stuff matters. That's what you realize when you're in that moment where He's hiding His face, and I think that is the heart of the Christian. The heart of the Christian is when God seems hidden. It's not that He's abandoned you. It's that He wants you to realize that, God, you're my only hope, and now you're starting to see it. And He calls out. David calls out to God, "Oh God, have mercy on me." In verse eight, "Have mercy on me." And when we are in that season where it doesn't make sense and we're asking God why and we're trying to figure it out and the heavens seem silent. To know that God hasn't left us, just feels like it, but he's also being silent so that we would seek him because there's a hollowness in our heart and a hollowness in our soul. We've let the world and its things fill in those places. We, we've turned to other things and God is, is showing us that what we need is him and he's, he's drawing our hearts back to him. And he wants us to be still before him. Be still and know that I am God. Wait for me, it says in Isaiah many times. Just to wait and come before him and seek him. When God seems absent, when God seems distant, when God seems silent, he's with you. He's just drawing you in. He's He's hung, giving you a hunger in your heart to seek him. Intensify your search for him. Get alone with him. Talk to him. Plead. Cry out to him like David did in verse 8. He says to you, o Lord, I cry and I plead for your mercy. Henry Nouwen says, when you do that, when you get alone with God, all kinds of monkeys will gather around you and start chattering at you and try to draw your attention away. Your mind goes crazy, right? You get alone with God. You're trying to hear from God. and All these monkeys are banging on the cage around you. He says, ignore them. That's easier said than done, right? But you ignore them and push through. Keep pursuing and chasing God. Don't let the world distract you. Don't let all things in your head pull you away. You keep. You, you just make your pursuit of God your focus. Call out to him. And in time, right, the next chapter, joy will come in the morning. Now, now it may not be tomorrow morning. That's one, that's one thing about this verse. It doesn't say tomorrow morning. <laughs> All right? It might be months of mornings. you got to know that. Sometimes years of mornings, right? But it will come. It will come because God is faithful and he's good. In fact, that is the question that I think he begins to ask is, okay, God, now, What are you doing? And and, and let me just kind of get this straight with who you are, God, because I'm I'm trusting in you. You've hidden your face. I I don't feel you. I need you. Where are you? And then he says this very interesting verse, verse 9. He says, What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Now look, at God knows the answer to all those questions. But David is pleading with God. Look, at you are a good God. You don't do worthless things. You don't just kill me for fun. And you're not going to kill me because when you do, I don't praise you anymore. See, God, he's pleading with God. You are a good God. You're a God of character. This is not a waste of pain. You're doing something here. I'm just reminding you, God, you're good. And I'm going to trust you. And that really is the battle of our heart, I think, in these dark moments is God really good? Is he really for me? Because Satan comes in, and this is one of the great temptations of Satan, is to come in and, and question God's character in our mind. Does he really have your best at heart, Christian? Really? Is it really bad to eat that fruit? Do you think maybe God's not just holding back on you? And, and You know, God isn't really good. He's really a mean God. See? That's what Satan does. and And... David here is reminding himself of the goodness of God. God is good, and he does good. And everything he does is for the good of his people. He loves his people so much sometimes that he actually withholds himself so that they'll seek him in a deeper and know him better. But we've got to be reminded that God is good, and he is there for us. So David repents, claims God's character, trusts in his goodness, and leans on him. It's called a life of faith, right? <laughs> when things are tough, it doesn't make sense, you just trust God. He's good. He'll take you through. The joy comes in the morning. And keep going. And enjoy the deep trust and the journey of walking with a God that you know Um, is with you and for you you know years really do help this faith um when you get older and grayer like me you realize that yeah god will be faithful he will take you through you've been through a number of these and you've, you've gotten to the other side and you realize that but when you're sometimes younger and you haven't gone through some real deep valleys yet the first time it really hits you you go oh my gosh what's happened to me where's god what's that what's going on but years tell you Believe me, it is true. These verses are right. That's why I'm preaching them with such passion today. God will see you through. Joy does come in the morning. He gets you to the other side. He will do it. Promise you, He will. He's good. I've proved Him. And you have too. But the first times, you've got to kind of hang on. It's a life of faith and trusting in Him. I, I was talking to a friend out on my porch this past week. And. Uh, <clears throat> We were talking about faith and belief in God, and he sees it as utterly ridiculous. And um, he says, you know, that that belief in God is really kind of a mindless game, he says to us. Bjorn and I are sitting here having this conversation with him. And Bjorn says, well, wait a minute. And Bjorn loves to argue these days, and I'm really proud of him, actually. He, he says, I'm a scientist, and I've thought about this, and I've thought about the world's answers. I've thought about evolution, and that is an answer, and this sort of mindless chance just sort of came about. It's more reasonable to believe in God than it is to believe in all the world's answers. It takes more faith to believe that ridiculous nonsense than it does to believe there's a God that created us. Right? I love this. I love what my son is. This guy's 20 years older than my son, and he's like putting his finger on his chest, you know. So I'm watching him. And then he said this, Bjorn said this. He said, Furthermore, to believe what you believe is far more hopeless to believe in a God who has another chapter coming. (laughs) That's a really good one. See, dismay that David was feeling can turn to despair if there is no God. Or it can turn to despair if God is cruel in our minds. But if there is a God that is good and loving and for us and behind us, then there is Hope in our dismay that he has just taken us, he's taken us through a death only to resurrect us to a better place. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Eventually, that conversation came around. I said, This is what you got to do when, you, when you're witnessing to people. You got to say, well, Okay, well, really, this thing's about Jesus. What do you think of Jesus? He's no legend. <laughs> right? 1.7 billion followers of a legend are you out of your mind and he's a reality he claimed to be God what are you going to do with that he goes well I'm afraid to face my sin now there's the reason we're hiding but if you look at your sin then the cross will be beautiful to you then Jesus will be beautiful to you then you will find joy and rejoicing. If you just look honestly what's wrong, then Jesus becomes amazing. I'm praying someday that this man, along with many of our other friends, will see that in time. And that is the last verses of this chapter, where in verse 11 and 12, David writes You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so David sensed and felt God's forgiveness, God's healing. God took him out of his sickness. He was stronger. He felt the blessing of God, the goodness of God, and he rejoiced in his salvation. And that is what happens to people when they experience God's grace and his salvation and his resurrection on the heels of a death and um, it is a great rejoicing and in fact I think it's a measure of how well we understand the gospel when we really have hearts of rejoicing we get it Uh, we live in a culture where people are trying to perform and trying to be good enough and try to follow rules to an end that they will be accepted by God and that does not bring rejoicing that is a weight on our backs that kills us but when we get the gospel and we get grace and we understand forgiveness and righteousness in Christ apart from anything we do, that frees us up. That sets us free. That sets our souls free to live and we rejoice in God. That's what the gospel does. Now, this psalm is set in the big picture of Scripture. Scripture. Um, The big picture of redemption. Um, this, This psalm speaks of weeping turning to joy. And that really is just the picture of the Bible of sadness turning to life and of death turning to life. And God rescuing his people from hard situations and bringing them to places of joy. That's the picture of redemption in all of the scripture. And we see this countless times throughout the Bible, and it reminds me that you know again as we ask the question, well, why, God, why do I go through this? Why is it so difficult? Well, I think part of it is is that we learn by contrast. We learn joy by going through weeping. Joy is greater when we have sorrow. The Israelites enjoyed the Promised Land a whole lot more because they wandered forty years in the desert, and they got the promise Land. This is an amazing place. But when you wander 40 years, you know, almost anything is amazing by the time you get out of that. And, and so it brings greater joy. And when they're taken into exile in Babylon and they're away from their culture and their people, when they return, the rejoicing is is greater. And 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, people were, were starving and thirsting for a word from God. And they're saying, God, where are you? How come you're silent? We can't hear from you. And then here comes Jesus on the scene and my oh my there he is it's Jesus and so Jesus is rejoiced in in a greater way because of God's silence. That's the picture of Scripture. We learn from contrast. And even in the greatest sense, we learn it in our salvation. When we see our sin and we see how worthless that sin is, and then we see Christ on the cross, and that He took the wrath that we deserved, and He died that we can be forgiven when we trust Him. And we see what we deserve and what we get. It just increases our rejoicing. The Bible says, When you are forgiven much, you love much. Band, you can come on up. And so this is the whole story of the Bible. And it starts with Adam, where Adam is in the garden with Eve, and they're in perfection. They have perfect union with God, no sin. Everything is just right. And then they disobey. And the whole world falls into chaos and hellish misery comes on the human race. And God says, okay, I'm going to walk with you through all of that. And then I've got in plans in store for you a new heaven and a new earth. And do you think maybe that new heaven, that new earth is going to be better yet because we've gone through this old earth stuff? Isn't that our God? Isn't that who He is? Takes us through the tafsa so that the greatest rejoicing possible and imaginable will occur someday in a new heaven and a new earth. This past week on Wednesday night I had a horrendous nightmare. Um, I've come to learn that in this city Christians and particularly Christian workers occasionally have battles with horrendous nightmares and it was horrible I don't have many like this very few actually but it was so bad that I woke my wife up and told her about it And as soon as the morning came I called Robert and told him about it because I wanted to get the peace of God in my heart and get that hard experience in the lives of people that love me or with me and standing around me but what was good was when I finally did get back on my feet (laughs) Wednesday morning I realized that was all a lie (laughs) nightmares are usually a lie right they're usually not true and the rejoicing that I felt in my heart that that was a lie was amazing (laughs) and then I thought as this text talks about wouldn't it be great to wake up in the new heaven in the new earth without any sin without any sorrow with joy in our hearts every morning no nightmares heaven will be sweeter than ever before because of what we've gone through here And so the Bible tells us rightly, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your story of redemption in our lives, your blessing that is poured out upon us as you take us and walk with us through all of life, that God, you never leave us or forsake us that the last chapter is not written and whether it's a good day or a bad day, God, you are writing an amazing story of redemption in our lives to bring us to a pinnacle of joy and rejoicing in you that only you could design and we are so thankful. All of this is bought through your Son on the cross. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful that we get to know you. We're thankful that we get to know love and forgiveness. We're thankful even for our sin that it has taught us to know grace. Oh, you are a good God.